Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 says that I'm supposed to respond to a fool. And then it turns around and says that I'm not to respond to a fool. It's a puzzle. It's a conundrum. What am I supposed to do? I have two options here. One of them goes east, the other one goes west, and I'm kind of stuck in the middle. What is the difference between answering a fool, not answering a fool? How am I to know when I should respond to a foolish person or just move on with my life? Did you know there's a lot of foolishness out there these days? Have you been on social media lately? Have you watched Christians sparring amongst themselves, sparring with the world? It just seems like a lot of foolishness. It seems like, well, is that redemptive? I mean, should they be answering a fool or should they not be answering a fool? Sometimes I'm just not sure how to react to folks. One of my mastermind students asked that question, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Hey, Rick, how do you know when to answer a fool, not answer a fool? I thought, that is really a good question. I've never written on it in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. I mean, Solomon wasn't hiding the ball there. That verse is just kind of laying there on top of Scripture and probably need to deal with it. So I thought, well, all right, I'll write an article. And so I have an article on our website. If you want to read it, I want you to. It's free. It's just laying there on top of our website. Go get it. The title of it is, How, How Am I to Know? when or when not to respond to a fool. We're going to pull that puzzle apart. We're going to look inside of it. I'm going to give you some, I hope, practical advice that will help you to sort of kind of sort it out. Hang on. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. Again, if you want to read the article, please. How am I to know when or when not to respond to a fool? Here's the verses, two sentences, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Let's go. Solomon said, sentence number one, answer not a fool. There you go. He says, do not, he says, answer not a fool according to his folly. And then he explains why, lest you be like him yourself. And so you don't answer a fool according to his folly because it'll make you like the fool. And then sentence number two, verse number five, he says, answer a fool according to his folly. Why, Solomon? Lest he be wise in his own eyes, you need to take him down a notch or two because he's he's got natural human wisdom and he's kind of arrogant. And so you need to confront him. And so in one instance, you are not answering the fool because, well, you're kind of looking foolish yourself as you do that. And then in the second sentence, you are answering a fool because, well, you want to, with humility and compassion... You want to bring him down a notch because he's just full of himself, wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, we're told to answer a fool and to answer not a fool. Now, admittedly, on the surface, the two verses do seem to contradict themselves. But as you reflect on them more deeply, you begin to see the practical wisdom of Solomon. The first verse says you should not answer a fool because you'll be like him. A foolish person. The next verse says you should answer a fool to help him so he won't be wise in his eyes. Like so much teaching of the Bible, wisdom is what you need to interact well with others. And that is a key idea. It is the nail that I want to bang in this podcast. We need wisdom. 
without God's guiding and illuminating insight, you could become lost in the narrative of others, which will keep those conversations and those relationships non-redemptive. Have you ever got lost in the narrative, in the conversation, in the conflict, because you didn't have the wisdom of God, and you were drowning with the person, you were answering that fool according to their folly, and you became foolish. And then there were other times where you needed to confront, but you were afraid to do that. You need God's guiding and illuminating insight so that you know you know how to respond. And the good news is that God does provide his wisdom to anyone who wants it. You can learn how to answer or answer not a fool. There are two neat things about Solomon not telling you precisely what to do in a tense relational situation. The first neat thing is your need for dependent wisdom, because there are nearly always more than one answer from which to choose. God is a a God of multiple choices so many times in our decision-making, and because there are multiple choices, you need wisdom. I'm banging that now. Now, the second neat thing about Solomon not telling us precisely what to do is that you are not a robot. You are a person who lives in a dynamic relationship with your Creator. God wants you to think for yourself as you participate with Him. Do you see the balancing act there? There's two things. It's like a balanced seesaw. On one side, God wants you to think for yourself. And on the other side, as you participate in him and you want to live in that perfect harmony, both of those things are inseparable and vital. Think for yourself as you participate with him because you're not a robot. Now, the word fool, admittedly, sounds a little bit too harsh for our postmodern sensibilities because we are offended about everything. And there's no question that the word fool, folly, foolish, foolishness is an offensive word. But the truth is, it is an excellent word to describe how you and I, how we can be sometimes. And it's true. You've played the fool on occasion. Be honest, you know you have. I have. My list of foolish things is longer than yours. I know that to be true. But it's okay. I mean, an event of foolishness is one thing, but what you don't want to be is characterized as a fool. It's okay to make a mistake. I mean, it's not okay, but the truth is is that it happens. But the key is is that when you act foolish, you have to be living out, walking out repentance. And if you're doing that, then, well, you just won't become a foolish person. And so doing foolish things and being a fool are two different things. If you're not sure what a habitualized fool is, then I would appeal to you to reacquaint yourself with the many uses of the word fool, folly, foolish, foolishness in Proverbs. You could do a word search in Proverbs of the word fool, folly, foolish, foolishness, and you'll get a whole list. And I have a partial list here in this article that you can you can hover over it. In fact, when you see verses in 
our on, on our website, if you hover over it, they're in orange, and if you hover over it, their little box will pop up, and, and you can read the actual verse. It's kind of cool. And I have a list of 10 or 12 of these foolish proverb verses here that you can hover over. It's important to to every now and then take your soul to task to see if you are not just a fool that you do foolish things but am i am i a fool and if you don't see yourself in proverbs as a fool on occasion then you probably are a fool because you can't see the scales are over your eyes you've hardened your conscience because the truth is we all do foolish things humility will allow you to see that, yes, I have played the fool on occasion. And again, that's okay, because you, you're you going to act out repentance. But what you don't want to be is like, you can't see yourself in Proverbs. Nope, not me. I'm not a fool. Not fo- No folly with me. No foolishness. No, not, not me. Well, then you're probably in a, a world of hurt, and what will happen is you will, bend the, you will begin to collect a community of fools, and you'll become an echo chamber of ignorance, and you don't want to do that. Now, on the surface, it does appear that Proverbs 26, 4, and 5, they do contradict each other. But these two verses are like many of the Proverbs in that they give us a Hebrew parallel. And it's important to understand this. This is a bit teachy, and I am aware of that, but it's important that you understand Hebrew parallelism because Solomon wrote like this a lot. And a Hebrew parallelism It simply means that there are two statements that can be antithetical to each other, one laying on top of the other. Let me illustrate. In Proverbs 29.25, this is a core verse in our training that we do here at our ministry because 29.25 is the verse that talks about the fear of man, codependency, peer pressure, those types of things. Biblically, it's called the fear of man, where you seek approval, crave approval of other people. But when you read that verse in 29.25, what you see is an illustration of Hebrew parallelism. Let me read the sentence to you and see if you can pull out the Hebrew parallel. Solomon said this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Did you see the parallel? The first part, the top layer, the fear of man lays a snare. And then underneath that is a different option, an antithetical statement. Whoever trusts the Lord is safe. And so the first part of the verse tells us that if we crave the approval of of people— There's potential you could step into a snare, and that's a big problem. And then Solomon doesn't leave you hanging with this negative tidbit about being ensnared by the fear of man, but he gives you a corresponding opposite, a parallel, so you'll know a better way to live. And so rather than choosing to be under the control of another human being, you can learn to trust God, which will bring you safety. And so he says in the back half of this sentence, whoever trusts the Lord is safe. And so there's the Hebrew parallel. And so when you read Proverbs 26 about the fool, 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5, Solomon is doing a similar thing. Initially, he says that if you step down to the fool's level, you're drowning with the fool, you may become like him. But then Solomon swings around in the next sentence, and he gives you another option. Praise 
God, there's another door that you can walk through. And so you, in, in one case, you don't want to answer the fool because you're going to drown with him. In the other case, you want to confront the fool because it will maybe help him to cease from being a fool. And so you have two options. And so maybe you have two foolish people sitting in front of you. And one of them, you will, you, you just you just go your way. I'm not going to engage to this person because this this is going to some bad places, and I'm just I'm just not going to I'm not, I'm I'm not going to answer the fool. And then the other fool that's sitting in front of you said, "No, I'm going to confront him because there's some indicators here, and I'll talk about those indicators in just a moment. But there's some indicators here that seem to point to that maybe I can." Help this person. There's so many things to love about the Bible, and most certainly one at the top of the list is this idea of multiple choices that the Lord gives us to work through our problems. And I know that some people just don't like that. We want we want our decisions in life to be scripted for us. Somebody tell us what to do. People come to our forums. Some people come to our forums like that. They want us to decide for them. How dangerous is that? Well, the Bible doesn't function that way unless it's explicit. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But most decision-making opportunities most of them, the overwhelming majority of them, you have more than one option. And Solomon is giving you multiple options here. That's so in line with the majority of Scripture. It is though the Lord is saying, hey, I want you to use your noodle. Isn't this one of the most effective ways that you can instruct a child? Rather than answering the question for your son, you let him noodle on it for a while, and then he makes a decision, and perhaps he makes a different decision than what you would have made. That's okay. But as long as it was not a sinful one, it's a beautiful thing. You don't want robotic children, and neither does God. And so let's say you're talking to a fool. A fool is a person who, let's say, is quick to speak, slow to listen. That's one of the ways that you could describe a fool. They're more interested in telling you what they believe than hearing another opinion. It's the person who nods in the affirmative at what you're saying, but they don't act on your advice, no matter how solid and right you are. You'll find these fools in every context of life. The question is, how do you help one? Or perhaps the better question is, should you help him because, again, Solomon's given us two possibilities in, in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Now, those of you who do the work of evangelism, discipleship, and other types of intentional engagement, I just described every Christian in the world, right? Because we're all doing evangelism, discipleship, and other types of intentional engagement. We run into these opportunities all the time. It's similar to the Lord telling the disciples, hey, don't worry about what to say when you go into that town. The Spirit of God will eliminate your mind, and he'll give you, he'll, he'll give you the words to say at that moment. I kind of paraphrased Matthew 10, 19 there. But he will. But also, God is giving you a brain. There's that cooperative effort again. The Spirit of God will eliminate your mind, and you must have, you must be thinking. You must be filling your brain up with God's wisdom so that when the Spirit of God turns the light on, it's not an empty room above your neck. Wisdom does come from above, and you must ask, ask for it. 
and you must be working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't expect the Lord to pull you out of a ditch without any effort on your part. Thus, the question is, what do you do when you're talking to a person who could be a fool? What I'm going to do as I wrap up this podcast, I'm going to give you about eight practical tips. This is not an exhaustive list on how to respond to a fool or not respond to a fool. And again, if you want to read these things, I want you to read them. Just go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this article, How Am I to Know When or When Not to Respond to a Fool? And you can look at the bottom bottom half of this article, and you can look at these. I think there's about eight tips here. They all begin with one word. And so I'll give you the word, and then it comes with a, a question, and then I'll explain it. So here's some practical tips, a non-exhaustive list for engaging fools or not engaging fools. The first word, I mentioned it earlier, drowning. Here's the question. Do I know when I'm sinking to his level, and do I have the courage to stop? If you are drowning with the person, then maybe you shouldn't you should answer not a fool because you're going to be like him. Some Christians do not know the difference between empathy and sympathy. I have an article here, by the way, that I would just love for you to read titled The Destructive Force of Empathy and Why You Need to Know. Empathy is a huge problem. Empathy is not good, by the way. And so some Christians do not know the difference between empathy and sympathy. The empathetic person, a great way to describe the empathetic person, is the overcaring person who jumps in the swamp with the person. Guess what happens? They both drown. People who rescue people from water know it's a bad idea to jump in the water with the drowning person. That's empathy. The sympathetic person doesn't jump in the water. They, they have the sense and they have the courage not to jump in. They have the wisdom not to engage, but they stand on the edge and help the struggler. If you find yourself drowning too many times with fools, then you need to find out why. Maybe you're an overcaring person and, and you're taking his mercy run amok. And you're just caring so much, and you're just drowning with this person when it would be better for you just to, in some of these cases, just to walk away. And then another illustration of the drowning person who's engaging the fool when they shouldn't is the person that's not overcaring at all. They're not empathetic at all. They just love to argue. And you'll see this on social media, the confronting people. They, they are just looking for a fight. And they engage foolish people, and they become fools themselves. And so the first word that to think about this practically is the word drowning. If you're drowning with the fool, then maybe you need to pull up. The second word is the word confront. And the question is, what are the reasons to confront someone? If you do speak to the fool... To confront him, you have to ask the question, why would you do it? It doesn't have to be wrong. 
Now, it could be wrong if you're drowning with them because you're an overcaring person and you just stay too long, or you're the arguing person because you just love a good fight. But there may be a time when you need to confront, and the question is, why are you doing it? you got to have valid reasons. Now, perhaps you sense that the person is teachable. You're confronting this person because you sense that the individual is teachable. I'll talk about teachability in just a moment. But if you sense that the person is teachable and they are doing making a mistake, well, that, that could be a great reason to confront. I've, I've had to do this on more, more than one occasion in, in small group contexts, and that's really a, a tenuous moment. But, but there's sometimes in some situations where the person says something heretical, and it has the possibility of influencing the whole group, and you're really just stuck. I mean, you're stuck. But if you know that the person is teachable, if the person is teachable, or you perceive them to be teachable, that may be the moment that you need to compassionately. And we, and when I talk about confront, I'm not talking about hitting somebody over the head with a two-by-four. That's not confronting. That's abusing. That's being harsh. And so when I talk about confronting here, and maybe I should have said this already, but when I talk about confronting, confronting is wrapped in compassion. And so you can confront somebody in small group as an illustration. I've done that before. And again, it's a difficult thing, but sometimes you really don't, you don't have any choice. And so they're influencing others in a bad way, and you rebuke them in front of them. There are other times where you don't have to rebuke them in front of others, but you can take care of it privately. That's really the best way uh, to do it. That's how we manage our Facebook page, by the way. We don't allow people to critique and to be harsh and unkind on our Facebook page. They do have the option to speak to us privately, and some people have done that over the years, and that is a good thing. They don't agree with something, but the first course of action is just not to stand up in a public setting if you don't have to, and, and to just rebuke or confront someone. And then a third way, and I've done this with my children before, is that someone would say something foolish in front of them, and and then we would talk later privately with the children and say, hey, we just, you know, we don't live that way, we don't think that way, we don't believe that way, and we do it that way. And then possibly, depending on the person who said it, we may or may not go to them. And so this Point number two is to confront. What are your reasons to confront someone? And I've given you different illustrations of how that can happen. Word number three is teachable. So I've talked about drowning. I've talked about confrontation. Now I'm talking about teachability. The question is, do they want to learn or do they want to argue? And that's really how you distinguish if a person is teachable. The biggest key you're looking for in a person is their desire to learn, grow, change. Learn, grow, change. If they want to learn, want to grow, want to change, then you probably have a teachable person. You should be able to tell if a person is teachable. Now, I I realize that some people can fake humility. It appears that they're working with you, but they are actually working against you, as you find out later. I've had many people lie to me like in counseling. In fact, I wrote an article. I got it linked here in this article that says counseling is a lying profession. And that's where people appear to be teachable, but in actuality, they weren't. They were more like professional counselees. But the truth is, this is how it works for me. If you appear to be teachable, then I believe all things. 
I choose to believe all things. I don't choose to be cynical. I don't choose to be suspicious. That, that's actually a form of foolishness. If you are a cynical and suspicious person, then you are a fool. You're a foolish person. I don't choose to be that way. And so if the person appears to be teachable, I will run with you until you prove otherwise. And then I may confront you, confront a fool, or I may just go on because I'm not going to drown with you. But if a person is teachable, you you can confront them and spend time with them. So you don't want to drown with them. You may want to confront them. You want to see if they are teachable. And then number four is hostile, which is really the opposite of the teachable person. And so the question is, are they hostile toward you or are they hostile toward the gospel? In many cases, this person will always be ready with a counterpoint. Sometimes you can hardly get your point out before they're coming back at you with theirs. Perhaps it is how—I want you to think about this, by the way. It could be how a person processes information. Some people process information out loud. They have to work it out, out. They have to work it out, out loud. I spent several months, a long time ago, counseling a pastor who processed out loud— And if you were a fly on the wall, you would think that he was hostile. And in one sense, he was hostile. But it was also apparent that he was teachable. All teachable people won't be without hostility, but all hostile people and all hostile people are not unteachable, if that sentence makes sense to you. So you want to measure their hostility, but don't just because you sense that they're hostile, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a fool is what I'm saying. They may be teachable, even though they appear to be hostile like this pastor, but he just had a very loud and active way of processing things because he was grappling with the truth. And so are they hostile? And then number five is time. The question is, does this person encroach on my more vital relationships? When you find yourself engaging a potential fool, do not lose track of time or your priorities. Fools fit on the outer ring of my responsibilities. God and I are in the center as far as my rings of responsibilities. My wife, Lucia, is my next circle. My children are the next circle. Then come my job, my friends, my church. Those who want to argue or are potentially unteachable, they do not get my best time. My ministry doesn't start with them. My ministry begins with God and me, my wife and my children. Those are the big four components of my ministry. That's the heart of my ministry. The rest have to get in line. And depending on the person and the situation, that will determine if they get my time. And so number five is time. Number six is context. The question is, is this the best place to discuss? Is this the best place to have a potential confrontation? I do not argue with anyone on social media. And it is befuddling to me to see so much of it on these platforms. Statistically speaking, it is one of the worst places and one of the worst ways to help a person change. Too many of those interactions are fools talking to fools. And I'm aware that I'm speaking about some of my friends. These people are about point making or maybe growing an audience or maybe clickbait 
or maybe just venting through grumbling and complaining. But it's not about transformation. Context. What is the context? I'm only signaling out, singling out social media platforms under this section of context. But the more significant point is that if you honestly want to help a fool, put yourself in the best possible position to do it. If you engage a fool on social media, you're only going to feed their narcissism because they love grandstanding. They have the advantage. Engaging fools on social media is dumb. It is just dumb. Consider the context. Next one, Savior. Question is, what is my responsibility for this person? Another way the overcaring Christian will err with a fool is they will forget that they are not the Messiah. So I'm using the word Savior. Too often they don their capes and become a mini-Messiah, thinking that if they keep pressing the argument, they will get them to change their minds. Perhaps the person needs that kind of perseverance. But like all of my points here, it's a wisdom issue. You're not the Savior. You're not the mini-Messiah. The vital key is that repentance is a gift from God. You can argue until the cows come home, but if the Lord is not granting repentance, your fool won't change. Know your limits. Learn the value of saying no, Savior. And then the last word is input. Should I borrow brains to make sure I understand correctly? Ensure you have friends who are competent in the Scriptures, dare to speak the truth to you, and have a proven history of providing insight that you did not think about until you shared with them. Sometimes it's wise to talk out these matters with a close friend. The title of the podcast, How Am I to Know When or When Not to Respond to a Fool? I have a list of questions here under the call to action. I would love for you to work through these eight questions. As always, if we can serve you, we're just a couple of clicks away. Jump on our free community forum and let's talk. We'd love to advise you on this or maybe something else. Thanks for listening.